What's up guys, this is Corey Baker from Baker Forge and Tool. In my business, we do tons of heavy grinding every single day, and we needed a grinder that could take abuse and keep on trucking without slowing down billet production. The Ameribraid Variable Speed 2x72 is just that. All heavy duty parts and framing with well thought out accessories that are easy to use and not bogged down with lots of tiny parts. By far the best accessory item that a Mary Braid sells is their surface grinding attachment. It is absolutely foolproof and the best in the industry. With quick release magnet system, there is no prying your workpiece off the platen. Very fast to slap a billet or a knife onto the table, engage magnets, and start surfacing with precise increments. On top of all of this, their customer support is outstanding. Eric and Kevin are always available and fast to help with any situation. If you're in the market for a top-of-the-line grinder or maybe just an accessory to add to your existing setup, go to AmeriBraid.com and use the code HUSTLE100 for 100 bucks off any grinder package. All right, next up, the Hustle & Grind Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Hustle and Grind podcast. I'm your host, Noah Bloomberg. With me, as always, your host, Ryan Coakley from Ryan <laughs> Ryan Shadborn. <laughs> I'm a little rusty. I was off for a week. So uh, today we have Josh Prince on the show with us from Prince Works Forge. How's it going, guys? Great. Uh, howdy. So Noah and I have new microphones, and now our headphones are plugged in through the microphone. So I don't know if that ad was super loud to the listeners or if it was just us. That's why it turned down halfway through because it was like it, your, I, Noah was I literally jumped out of my skin. I was not expecting that to be that loud. So, yeah, so we got some new equipment. Thank you to all of you lovely people who have uh, who have helped pr to provide that. Um, and there might be some some learning curve that goes along with it. That's all. That's all. No big deal. For sure. So, Josh. We met at Blade Show. You were hanging out with the uh, the Ameribraid guys there. And so we had a yeah, fairly brief conversation just kind of talking about um, different aspects of knife making and stuff. Um, I definitely want to get into that. But first off, let's just kind of get to know you as a person. Can you just kind of tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, uh, I know you said you've only been bladesmithing for, oh, shoot, what was it like five or six years, I think you said? Yeah, I think it's going on seven years. So 2016, I think, is when I started. So I'm in Barrington, Rhode Island, so in the, in the Northeast. Um, not everybody's familiar with Rhode Island. Sometimes I say Rhode Island, people say, oh, New York, because they think I'm saying Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> so Rhode Island is a state, legit. It's about an hour across to drive. I don't know if, uh, if you guys have been to Rhode Island, but it's, uh, it's a nice little state. And uh, I blink through it. I blink blinked through on it. my way through it, yeah. <laughs> I forget how many exits we have, but. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I'm about five minutes away from Massachusetts and Connecticut's a little further. So the where I am in, in Barrington in Rhode Island is the coastal part, which is uh, really nice right on the water. Oh, very nice. And I've mostly grown up here and I've been working in, as you mentioned, I've work been working with steel for about seven years now. And before that, I had no interest. I had done a little bit, uh, worked with a little bit. Uh, as a professional uh, at a job I had with a construction crew, uh, they were iron workers and I was sort of like just hired on as a temp to support them. So I, when they, you know, when there was break time, I'd get the torch and I try to do a couple of things cut with the cutting torch and made a couple of sculptures on the, on, on site out of I-beam and tried welding, you know, for the first time, stick welders is what they had uh, for welding the, the structural steel together. And that was my introduction to steel, but that was probably that was probably near twenty five years ago, and from then to seven years ago, I had, had no interest. In fact, I remember being in high school, and I was like, "Why don't they? I went the high school I went to was a was a what do they call that? They had like a art was the specialty in in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. There's a lot of jewel jewelry manufacturing." So, uh, so they offered uh, jewelry manufacturing as a sort of for high school kids and, and woodworking and other things. And I was like, why do these kids want to work in metal? It made no sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> so but, uh, uh, when, when you were younger, surely there must have been some sort of artistic outlet or, or something that that 
you were making or, or something like that, that, you know, drew you to be where you are now? Yeah, I've dabbled in a lot of different things, but uh, yeah, sculpting, woodworking was my, my thing for many years <clears throat> since I was gotcha. a kid. Okay. And I, I had some professional jobs uh, doing, making furniture um, and also uh, architectural millwork. Uh, one job I had was work building spiral staircases. That's what the company oh. did. We'd build them in the shop and we'd take them out and install them. That's forever ago. And I did that sort of was a fallback from when I was between jobs because I always wanted to be in the corporate world, but it's, you know, it can be very fickle. So sometimes you find yourself that you're not employed again. (laughs) (laughs) I'd go wherever the mill was or wherever the woodworking place was, I'd just start, you know, I'd just show up there and sure enough, they'd they pay you an hourly wage that was pretty good relative to other work you could be doing. And I had the history, so I'd get hired. And then if I could make 25 cents more, I'd go work somewhere else. It was very mercenary. Well, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of trades like that where the, that's just kind of the way you get raises. And that was no, it. Yeah. yeah that, that, you don't get a raise in your current job. So the best way to get raises is either, either to threaten to quit or to actually quit and just go somewhere else for a little bit better pay. And I know that's that. It. Yeah, the mechanic world is like that, and a few other trades are like that as well. I did that on and off for about 10 years, and then I ended up getting a sort of the corporate job that I had been looking for that I thought I wanted. And I've been there for 20, 22, 23 years, something like that. Wow. So I'm kind of, you know, dabble, always dabbling in something as far as uh, working something, some artistic pursuit. But uh, that that job is is kind of the anchor. So I'm part time, I guess you could say, with uh, with knife making. But it's that's been, crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. Looking at your progression and like just how exceptional your work is for you to be part time, it blows my mind. I mean, it is a lot of time that I put into it. So you know, what, <laughs> whatever like that double full time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, <kind of>. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I asked uh, Noah and Andrea DeLeon, who were on the last episode, who they would want to see on the show. And you were their, both their first answers. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah I haven't listened to that. I got to I gotta listen in on that episode. I saw you. I saw their faces on one of your guys' um, Instagram, I think. And I was like, oh, that's cool. They were on yeah. together. That's yeah. real neat. Yeah. 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 I wasn't on the show, though, so you might not want to listen to it. It's, it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I met. I just met Noah at uh, first time. I, we'd been in communication, but I met him for the first time at the uh, New England School of Metalwork in uh, whenever that was a couple months ago. Yeah, June, I think. Yeah, that's yeah. where I met you. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yep. So I'm a New spent, Englander too. Have you spent uh, time at the New England School of Metalwork uh, prior to that? That was just my second time there. My first time was 2019. And it was great. And I don't know why I didn't go back from from then to this past time. I haven't done any classes there, but uh, that's a great, you know, great experience if if uh, if you whether you're local or not. I mean, I think there were some folks there. Well, there first of all, there were a bunch of people there from Canada, and New England, but I think there were other people there that flown flown in from all around the country. Yeah, Salem Straub's yeah. from on the West coast. Yeah. And he was there. Yeah. That's yeah, right. that yeah he was there impressive. as an instructor. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is yeah. the, that people are aware of it and, and uh, the classes that are held there. And that's very unusual. You know what? We have a place here in Providence called the steel yard that, that uh, actually I haven't been, to, I've been, I visited, but I haven't worked there, but uh, I follow them and they, they do, I, I suppose it's similar. It might lean a little bit more toward art, and they do iron pours. They do. Um, they have a lot of high school kids go through, and local schools go through and learn a little bit about forging and fabricating. And I think they even have jewelry there, a oh, lot of foundry cool. work. Uh, but as I believe, it's pretty rare to have a formal place where you can go and learn sort of formally about these obscure things that we do. Oh, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure the New England School of Metalworks is the only one in the state of Maine that I'm aware of. I mean, we have the Vogue School in Bangor, but that's more like welding in like uh, more 
commercial practice stuff like computers, welding, automotive, stuff like that. So you're, you're in Maine? Yep. Yeah, I'm in the where, Bangor area. Where, where are you now? Uh, I'm over in Washington State Central. Oh, wow. Yeah. Been to Washington once. <laughs> what, uh, what, what part of the state did you go to? It was, uh, I visited David Lish and I uh, did a class with him. Very cool. Which I, I highly uh, recommend. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you, you actually made that recommendation to me uh, when we were talking at Blade. And uh, I tried to go up and talk to him afterwards. Yeah. But man, that guy was that guy was busy. So I need to get a hold of him and, and see what his class schedule looks like. Because um, that would just be phenomenal. I would love that. Yeah, just drop him a note. I think I first reached out to him probably like four years ago and kind of had planted the idea. And then when I was ready, I, was, I got together with uh, Luke Delmeyer and uh, we went out together. We just kind of got in his calendar and we made that commitment and it was, it was fantastic. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. He's, he's um, someone Great we teacher. talked about as, as having amazing style um, yeah. and just the, the creativity and the willingness to try different things and see what sticks and, and just have unique things that come out. You know, we all, we all strive for something that's, different and noticeable, you know, to try and stand out on Instagram or wherever it is. And David Lish just knocks it out of the park with just different and unique pieces all the time. He's a, he's a daredevil. He'll, he'll, he'll try anything, you know, and he'll invest a lot of time in it, which is what you kind of have to do. If you're going to try something, you're not likely to be successful the first time. So you kind of have to go after it. Uh, I'm sure what I'm sure he's doing a lot of stuff. He's not, I'm guessing he's doing a lot of stuff he's not sharing. And then when he gets kind of, you know, where he wants to be, then he'll show up. That's the way I am. But, uh, yeah, well, I, was, I appreciate him for that. That was something I noticed at, at Blade Show is actually you brought some pieces that were, in fact, somewhat failures. And and that, I really appreciated that you were able to show off, hey, this didn't work out the way that it was supposed to. and But yeah. you still, you know, brought it because, you know, those are important things. And it's difficult for you know, bladesmiths or just people in general to look at, you know, social media and understand the amount of failures that are required in order to get to a certain place. And, you know, people don't realize, you know, when they look at successful people, and I'm not talking about just bladesmiths here now, I'm talking about business people and everything else. Those people failed more than you have. Like, yes, they have succeeded, but that's because they failed many, many times. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit, speaking of David Lish and his, you know, willingness to kind of go outside the box, would you say that he's, it's, you know, that's definitely something that I've said about you in the past. Um, would, would you say that he was kind of the, or at least a, a major inspiration as far as the way that you are willing to try new and outlandish things and just see what sticks or where did that come from? Yeah. If not, There's a few people that from like many people, that from early on were very encouraging. And, uh, you know, somehow we find each other on Instagram. I'm not sure how all that works out. Um, but he was all, he was always very encouraging. Um, like I said, along with a lot of other people from, from early on with, with the things I was doing that were experimental, he'd comment and that that's uh, that kind of support is important, you know, that, sure. uh, you're trying something different and somebody like that, whose work I definitely admire. I've admired from the very first, you know, sort of time I saw his work. So to get that kind of encouragement from somebody like that is, is very beneficial to keep you, you know, invested in the experiment and the adventure and uh, Mm -hmm. to see that, that he continues to try new things at all times, you know, even though he has his standard, his standard, you know, business, he's always willing to go out and try new things. So, that's uh, that's great to see. Absolutely, sure. yeah. I feel that yeah. way about Noah Vachon. From day one, like his work has always been an inspiration to my work. And that's true. Yeah, yeah super Noah nice has, guy. He does like he does like production runs, and then he does like one-off customs, and he's done some um, buoy builds and uh, really trying things with texture and finishes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Geometry as well. And miniatures. And miniatures, yeah. He's all the miniatures. A, yeah. 
yeah, I, I laugh every time I see that. And just like, you know, on, on one hand, you know, and this is something that, you know, we think about, you know, somewhat frequently about, you know, pricing and, you know, the amount of work that goes into a small knife is almost just the same as, you know, what goes into a bigger knife, you know, and I'm here, I'm not talking about miniatures. I'm talking about, you know, a four inch hunter versus an eight inch chef. Like, yes, there's more blade to hand sand or, you know, there's more of this or that more steel involved, but is the price difference in the steel that much? No, but people still expect, you know, a smaller knife should be cheaper. And it's like, well, yeah. the same amount of work goes into it. I can't imagine with those miniatures that, I mean, it's all the same processes that are going into a standard chef knife, just on a much smaller scale. So, You're right. Yeah. There's no I, difference. You know, I don't make a lot of small knives, but um, every once in a while on a whim, I'll do one, but then I can never, you can never get the same, the same, you know, you you can never sell it for the same price. Um, big yeah. knives definitely sell. That's for sure. Big chef knives, big hunting, you know, big, any, any kind of knife scaled up, people are more attracted to. It's like a more of a showpiece. Yeah. Uh, I guess the exception to that would be folders. You see a lot of really amazing folders. It, really a precious thing. And they're kind of like a little mechanism on top of that. Mm-hmm. There's, there's ways to infuse, you know, I guess there are certain makers I would say that can, make a smaller knife and really make it exquisite and uh, put a, you can put a, all that energy into it and really have something amazing and probably greater utility ultimately. Oh yeah. Yeah. I almost think smaller knives are harder, but I do a lot more bigger knives than smaller knives, but cause I grind with a push stick. Mm-hmm. So a, a small knife, I don't have that much, you know, there's not as much knife to push right. on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Ryan, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsor, one of our sponsors real quick, and then uh, and then I want to dive into another topic of conversation. Okay. Hustle & Grind is sponsored by Maritime Knife Supply. Whether you're looking for steel, abrasives, handle material, forges, epoxy, or anything for making in general, Maritime Knife Supply has you covered. And in the U.S. or Canada, they ship faster than the great Cobra Chicken Goosesses that their country is known for. Go to Maritime Knife Supply, and when you buy a 10-pack of belts, get 10% off. And tell them we sent you, eh? Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Luke. Yeah, go check out uh, Lawrence. He's got a bunch of... Oh, shoot, what did I see? He had a bunch of things in stock recently. Uh, I can't remember. Uh, well, I'm botching it. Botching the ad, Noah. He's got, 1080, he's got 1080 hexagon stock, which is pretty awesome. I just forged uh, a set of five knives out of that yeah. um, that I got going for an order. And that stuff is phenomenal to forge. It just, it's so great. It's hard to find 1080. It's 1080 or 1084, but it's hard to find in a, a big cross section. So even if you don't keep it as a hexagon, I've actually forged it square to use it as a, you know, like add to a knife billet and for a large areas of 1080 where I'm looking for a, a large block of dark color. I mm-hmm. just re- kind of re- reconfigured it. Hmm. Got, yeah, I was just, got, yeah. I, yeah, I absolutely love that stuff. And it's amazing. I, I bought a bar of the seven eights and then I think he has one and a quarter as well. And I bought a bar of each cause I wasn't sure, you know, exactly how much material I was going to be using. And man, that seven eights, you can stretch that so wide. Um, and you can really fuller that stuff out to give you a deep blade. Um, I honestly, I think I'm just going to buy some more of the seven eights. I, I ended up forging down the, the one and a quarter down to about seven eights, uh, <laughs> to, to forge a knife out of, because I was so used to just that seven eights is just, it's the perfect size for me, uh, yeah. for forging a, a blade out. And I just, I absolutely love it. So I'm going to be getting some more of that, um, in the future for sure. Aside from that, I've been using that big Mert Nordic edge file guide. And I posted a, a reel about that the other day and I absolutely freaking love that file guide. It is phenomenal. And I can't believe I was using a small one before that because <laughs> that big surface area is just, I, I didn't think that I would need that much surface area, but once you have it, y- you will not go back. It's awesome. And I freaking love it. And it's super easy to use. So I highly recommend you guys go check that out as well. It's more stable, right? You get more stability against the platen with uh, oh, yeah. more surface area. Yeah. And when, yes, and flattening um, the backsides of the bolsters for like an integral, um, just having that large surface area. I know there's integral grinding um, 
file guides that have sort of like an angle or something like that where you can fit the bolster in there so that when you're flattening the tang side of it, um, it makes it a little bit easier. But with that much surface area, you don't even need something like that. So it's very multi-purpose. So. Who, I think it's the Neo Kamimura integral file guide that's four-sided. Uh, yeah, he, uh, he collaborated with Bill Banky, um, and they have one, and I'm sure that's a phenomenal fi- file guide as well. Um, but it's, again, it's fairly one-dimensional, whereas this thing does both, and I think it does it really well. So, mm-hmm. And the name, Big Mert. Big Mert. Big Mert. <laughs> well, yeah. Mert Tansu does some phenomenal work. So, uh, he sure does. I think it, it fits on there. Um, I'm, so, I'm anyway. glad to have you back before you start, Noah, because I don't know if you listened to last week's podcast. For everybody who's listening, Noah is my wrangler. He keeps me from <laughs> going off on hour long tangents about nothingness that had nothing to do with what we originally started on. And last week, it went pretty good, but there was some of those. We, we wandered off a few times. Yeah. He took good. a couple of, couple of side roads and <laughs> hey, yeah. Yeah. you made it, you made it back to the main road most of the time. So it's okay. It, it was yeah. good. How'd um, you guys meet? Being in Washington, uh, Maine. This podcast. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was, I was co-host with the original host and we had no on a few times. And when he was going to get done and give me the podcast, I was like, Hmm, who would be a good co-host? Noah would. All right. Yeah, and then we met for the first time face to face at Blade. This this past one or a couple? Yeah, couple of this years. past yeah. one. All right. Yeah. Uh. yeah, it's crazy the uh, the the distance that people can become friends over and collaborate on you know such a, sure. a large scale with the the modern world. Absolutely it's worldwide. No question. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I got friends all over the world now. I got invitations. It's it's crazy. It's like I <laughs> wish I. I wish I could, you know, it's like a, like a touring rock star, but without the money, you know, I could <laughs> could get anywhere in the world, really. <laughs> yeah, probably welcome there. And uh, the the most interesting part about doing podcasts worldwide like this is time zones and trying to coordinate. Like Tobias Hangler's on next week; he's okay. six hours ahead of me, which makes him nine hours ahead of Noah. Yeah, and we've had. We've had UK, Australia, but they were in the UK when they were on the show. So I guess that doesn't count. Ireland, Tobias's yeah. Austria, mm-hmm. Canada a few times. Honestly, before I started doing this podcast, I don't think I ever thought about time zones really ever at all. <laughs> like, honestly, Seriously. yeah, n- never, never once. It's never, it's never been an issue up until now. <laughs> so I wanted to talk a little bit about stainless Damascus, if you don't mind. Yeah, let's talk about it. So first of all, what what was the catalyst that got you interested in stainless Damascus as a, as a whole or as a project? I mean, we always want something to last forever and stay in its original state. So that's kind of my, my goal with, with that was, is here's a material that I can, in my, in my imagination, I could, you know, I could get all the same sort of patterning out of, you know, working in working in Damascus steel and have something that I don't have to be as cautious with or that me or whoever um, owns it doesn't have to be as careful with, which, you know, it's not really true. I mean, you still have to take care of it, but I just like the idea of something that you didn't have to be too concerned over. And, you know, as, as we all know, carbon steel is prone to, uh, you know, to corroding if it's exposed to moisture or not kept a certain way and cared for a certain way. So that was kind of, and also the idea of just opportunity to just try something new and uh, and challenging. And there were not many people doing it, and there still aren't. Yeah, including me. <laughs> 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 it's uh, it's a it's a you know it's a tremendous thing to do in a home shop. You know. Oh yeah. High layer and complex patterns. I mean, you can get you can get it to stick. But every every time you go to restack and reweld, you're exposed to that huge risk again. So that's it can be really daunting. But you can get two pieces of stainless to stick together. That's not the biggest challenge. The biggest challenge is to try to develop a pattern out of it. And uh, you know, once you once you try it 
I think I, when I first tried it, I probably went went after it. Probably had some early success just through luck, and then kind of doubled down on the next attempt. And then it was probably a big disaster. And then I probably I, I take about six months off in between doing uh, stainless patterns, just because the amount of work involved. Oh yeah. And then I end up with a lot of material and a lot of knife blanks and I don't finish them. So then they sit around <laughs> for, for six months to a year before I decide to finish one out. So how are you, I guess let's first off, how are you controlling the temperature? Cause I'm sure that it's very finicky as far as what temperatures it likes to weld at. Yeah. So I, I put together, um, temperature control on my forge and I just have a three burner majestic forge it's the first forge I got and I just keep buying them as they break down and fall apart I just buy another one I've built a few forges too but I just I'm really used to this forge I know what to expect from it so that's what I'm using and I've got two probes one probe is just on a a little electronic um, temperature a readout and the other probe runs to um it runs to a PID controller that I got on eBay. They sell them for all kinds of different things, industrial applications. They're kind of a clumsy little device, but you can program it. It's got, it's like trying to program a seven-day thermostat. I mean, you, you just sit there scratching your head. It takes like hours to, to program this thing. But anyways, the, the probe goes into the PID, and then the PID uh, goes to a, a electrical relay that controls an on-off, a normally closed gas valve. And... Oh. There's a little bit of plumbing there, but it's pretty, it's pretty rudimentary. Okay. All right. But that's that, you know, you can set a temperature and it'll, it'll hold and uh, hmm. not sure of the accuracy. There's a sort of a learning program that you can set for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could probably do it with, with, without the, the gas valve control, but it's hard to walk away from something. And some of the soaks take 20 minutes, 30 minutes. So I don't really sure. want to stand there. I want to go do other things and this, this right. allows you to kind of walk away. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, for sure. Which is kind I, of important. Otherwise impatience I... sets in and then you <laughs> try to press it because you just don't want to wait the time and then you rush it and then you ruin it. Oh, I've never done that before. No, that sounds terrible. <laughs> is, there a big, timers. is there yeah. a big temperature difference between doing stainless Damascus and regular Damascus? It's uh, it's lower. You can uh, you can go much higher on carbon steel. Uh, you don't need to, but I mean, people often do run their forges at very high temperatures hmm. for uh, for working in steel. I think uh, stainless is welds. I think it welds in the same range as, as carbon steel, but you um, you can't you can't uh, overheat it. If you overheat the stainless, one of the components. Usually the bright component will sort of go into a, a semi-melted stage. Mm. And once it hits that, it's destroyed. It, it doesn't, even though, even though you allow the temperature to come back down, it's at that point, it's the integrity is, is gone. And it, it almost gets like a crumbly cookie crumble. I've heard, I've heard it described as a wet sand <laughs> sort mm. of quality. Okay. So Interesting. I think I have mine set to 2150. And a lot of what I do in stainless, I just kind of got, um, you know, just it's hard to find a lot of good information. Some of it I got, some of the heat treat I just got from Domasteel because I've used Domasteel as well. And they give you the whole heat treat regimen um, gotcha. as well sense. as the anneal process and also describe the temperature, max temperature range, forging ranges. So I... I'll be, you know, honestly, I got a lot of that technical data from there. So that was really good exposure. And I still work with their material as well, uh, which is, it's a great product. If you, if you haven't tried it and you want to get into stainless pattern, you know, that would be the move. And then maybe try to, I would say work. If anybody wants to try to work stainless, I would say, don't try to make Damascus first. Just see if you even want to deal with it because just forging it, it might not be the, it might be a little bit shocking, the difference between stainless <laughs> and, and carbon steel, as far as what you can get the material to do with your tools, so is it tools just, or power tools. 
is it just harder to move in general or is it trying to keep that temperature down to where you prevent too much carbon loss and harder to forage for that reason? Or what, what is exactly is, I mean, what basically is the, the difference in forging it? Yeah, very, a very short window to forge. So you get it to the temperature that's appropriate for forging and you have a very small window to, to, to forge it. Okay. And it's very stubborn to move. And also it doesn't move in the ways you are accustomed to. It's almost working with a completely different material. So it doesn't, it doesn't deform. And all, a lot of this has to do with the type of tools that are unique to your shop. So uh, with my tools, it doesn't behave the same way it does with carbon steel. So I'll get I-beaming on a cross section if I'm hitting it from the top it, instead of like, really? instead of carbon steel, where if you strike top and bottom, um, you know, where, where the temperatures, if you're in the good forging range, you'll end up getting, it'll sort of billow out on the sides. The, the stainless will I-beam. So it almost, yeah, the top will, will mushroom, the bottom will mushroom, and then it'll sort of be narrow in the center. So if you're trying to change, if you're trying to manipulate it and change, you know, from one dimension to the other, which I do a lot of with, with stainless and with carbon steel for the all steel knives where the blade is in one plane right. and then the handle is, is 90 degrees to that, it can be, it can be difficult. Um, and the bigger the cross section of stainless, it's even more stubborn. And, and uh, you have to take a lot of care with it because you can, you can crack it or it'll tend to um, rip almost. Really? And it, it'll wreck your tools as well. This is something I want to get into. Oh yeah. my god, this sounds would, incredibly yeah, if frustrating. You want to get, if you're thinking about it, get buy some AEBL. AEBL is really resilient stainless. Okay. As far as for, for forging, it's great. I've, I've I've got some, and my my plan was always to to forge some just because I wanted to I wanted to forge stainless just to see what it was like, and so I've got some. I just haven't uh, I haven't gotten around to throwing it in the forge. Um, I mean, it's pretty indes- It's pretty much indestructible, and, and that, really? that's the exceptional. I don't think I've ruined it through over temperature. I don't even when I work ABL, I don't even put the PID. I don't even put the temperature sensor on. I just throw it in there, and my, like I said, I, the forge I use only goes. I think unless I really got it cranked up, it's only going to like twenty two hundred, anyways. Okay. So I just well, kind of my- keep it a little bit lower than that. I don't. I don't. I keep it to where the all the flux I've thrown in my forge isn't going all molten so <laughs> it's it's under the temperature where uh flux is melting anyways okay yeah i yeah. uh i just cleaned out my forge the other day i've got i mean it's been ruined over the last probably two years or so and yeah. i finally pulled out the the bottom brick that was split in two and the whole top of it was just glass yeah it was just disgusting looking i just threw it in the trash and put a new brick in there for the bottom and <laughs> try to make that's it like, a little bit prettier that's like uh whenever you get a new car you're like oh i'm gonna keep i'm never gonna eat mcdonald's here i'm not gonna <laughs> eat my car and next thing you know like it's like french fries in between the seats <laughs> that's the way forges <laughs> are i try to keep them nice and maintain them in, the, in a jam you're like get the flux can out and it's like everywhere and you you know you have those freak out moments where your things aren't going your way and i got I a big old can of was flux <laughs> Yeah, uh, I've been there. I, I try yeah. and do as much flux-free welding as possible, but every so often you see something and you're like, is that not welded or am I just seeing a shadow? Like, what is going on? And so you just dump flux on it just just in case. When in doubt, yeah. Yep. So I guess with AEBL and with, with other stainlesses, I'm ignorant, so I'll just go ahead and mention that right ahead. But uh, my understanding is that there's a lower carbon content in a lot of that that stainless steel. So when you're heating it up to either forge weld it or just forge it in general, is there a concern for carbon loss um, as you're going through that process? I'm sure as much as there is for, for, uh, for carbon steel, I suppose. I don't, I don't really think about that. And the results don't seem to bear that out, that it's a dramatic difference. Any, any thin cross section I try to keep uh, from hitting much higher temperatures. So I shield usually, you know, as the, as a blade, for example, in blade forging with stainless, as it gets thinner and thinner, the thin areas, I try to put um, a shield, either just a piece of, you know, scrap steel, I'll shield it 
mm-hmm. or a fire brick. I'll put a fire brick on there on the heel of the knife to keep it from hitting those much higher temperatures. And I do the same thing with carbon steel because you uh, you don't have that precise temperature controls. But I, so what I do is I just use different shielding to heat up. You know, if I'm working on the bolster and tang, you know, you put it under the flame. I kind of block off the heel. And I don't know if that's scientific, but that's what I do because my understanding is a thin cross-section when you're cranking the temperature and bringing it up into welding range, you're going to have a lot more carbon loss and you're going to have much deeper decarb layer, which also is a problem when you're working in a thin cross-section because then you go to grind it and you you might not be able to get through all the decarb. I've been there. So yeah, no, that's uh, (laughs) definitely uh, best practices for anybody out there who's forging just... Just keep that in mind when you've got that heel drawn out, that's all of a sudden a lot thinner than everything else that you've got working on right there. So I'm always trying to stay conscious of which section I'm heating up and it helps to just, you know, sometimes you want to just stick a a piece of steel in the forge and just hammer it out and just see what happens. But it really does behoove you to have a plan in your head of exactly how you're forging the blade and which section you plan on, on manipulating next and making sure you're paying attention to where that heat is going. And be purposeful about it yeah so yeah i would say anybody wants to get into stainless try something like abl try to forge something out see if you like how the material is learn a little bit you know how it how it moves or where it can go wrong and then maybe uh go with something like stainless over carbon stainless cladding over carbon you know, mm-hmm. just three layer you know take three pieces and you know there's a lot of information out about that I've not personally not never done that actually. <laughs> I just kind of skipped right to the the <laughs> Damascus part of things, but um, that's basically yeah. the bill you made me, right, Noah? Yeah, yeah. I've done a lot Almost of that, but I've never I've never done jackets out of any sort of uh, what you'd call yeah. blade steel. Nice. So that knife yeah, right there awesome. is it's uh, four ten cladding over um, ten ninety five. So it's not. It's just soft stainless steel, essentially. So my first attempt at uh, at a stainless sandmai was ABL over probably 1095. And one side stuck, but the other side was not not the, that not that great. So that's when I did some more research and most people were using softer jackets for their stainless yeah. sandmai. And so that's when I switched to 410 and yeah, you might have had a problem on 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 heat treat anyways with the, you know, with that uh, cladding being For ABL. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Not sure. Yep. Yeah, the difference, the diff, you know, being um, Martin Siddick stainless versus the four four ten. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, which doesn't I don't believe hardens. It can work harden um, to a certain degree. Um, I've definitely had issues where I've had to anneal before uh, even attempting to drill holes and that sort of thing. Um, But for the most part, it's pretty soft stuff. Um, Ryan, let's uh, let's hear from one uh, one more of our sponsors real quick. Phoenix Abrasives. Yeah, let's talk about Phoenix. Hustle and Grind podcast is sponsored by Phoenix Abrasives, your one-stop abrasive shop. When you go to phoenixabrasives.com, click the shop icon in the upper right-hand corner to find all the abrasives you'll ever need. Check out the Incinerator 36-grit ceramic belts, along with the Trizact gator belts that the hosts of Hustle & Grind use every day. When you check out, use code HUSTLE10 for 10% off your entire order. Thanks, Luke. All this forging Thanks, talk's Luke. got me quiet. Oh, I'm sorry, man. Well, hey, we can, well, uh, I got one more forging thing I wanted to talk about. Go ahead. Go ahead. Excuse me. I'll take today off. What's your favorite subject? Me? Oh, as far as knife making goes? Yeah. I don't know. I, I love, uh, Grinding, it's, I have a love-hate relationship with grinding. Like when I'm in the moment and I'm in flow state and I'm grinding and everything's going perfectly, there's nothing else that makes me happier. But getting me to the point where I want to grind 
yeah. is like a battle. Like I have to like yeah. do little things around the shop first to like build up momentum before I put on the respirator, put on the headphones, yeah. get the grinder yeah. set up, you know. Um, it's a big commitment. Yeah. And it's yeah. better to better to grind the whole pile of stuff than just one thing. Right. You That's know, a- you want to like gear things towards when you got to grind bevels versus when you got to shape handles. Cause then you're kicking up two different types of dust and maybe it's just my brain, but stuff like that bothers me. I can relate to that. Yeah. Oh, I'm the same way. Yeah. When I, when I grind handles, I go through and I clean the whole shop before I start grinding steel again, because I just want to get all of that wood dust out of there. Cause I'm paranoid. Hmm. I'm close on my grinding room. Ooh, nice. I am. I had, uh, you can kind of see it behind my shoulder, that shelf up there on the wall. That was in the way of where the wall's going to go. So I had to clear it all off, unbolt it, move it down, bolt it. And so now I just, I pretty much just got to build the walls and move my outlets. Nice. That helps to have a dedicated space like that, which I don't have. I've got a grinder out in the shed, out in the shop, and then I've got another one. The one I, most of my grinding on is in the basement so i'm dread to go to the basement really at all for any reason um it's really difficult for me to go down there in this dark area and uh you know spend like five or six hours so that's my own fault though i could set it up better but i don't my shop is 12 by 10 and it's got a garage door so i might look into getting a grinder that i can have it work outside you know, and just put a fan on me, just work out in the open. That's probably what I'm leaning toward in the future. <laughs> you know, just a, a something I can just pick up, carry outside, maybe onto a, a concrete sort of. You know. Just footer, like right outside yeah. the door, just wheel it yeah. out. Winter, it's not happening. I, I, I would be unable to mm-hmm. function yeah. with cold hands and trying to do anything. Well, yeah, I know people do that. in your I, hand in the yeah. water bucket. There's no way. Yeah. Yeah. I've never understood how guys can not heat their shop and grind in the winter or like do anything out here. It's so hard to be creative when you're cold it's or impossible. when you're uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, and for that's, sure. Uh, that's when I'll be that's when I'll go to the basement this winter because there'll be no other choice. Although I do work outside year round as far as forging. And it's not oh, too yeah. bad, you know. If it's like if the snow is melting 30, like, melt, you know, uh, freezing temperature and above, I'm good. Like 32 and above, no problem. But below that, yeah, it really hits me hard. Hmm. That's that's pretty much where I'm at. Anything between like 20 degrees to 95 to 100, I'm okay. I can, I can acclimate in that range. But once it gets up to like 110 like it has this summer or in the wintertime, it'll get down to – somewhere between zero and zero and 10. That's where it's just like, oh man, I just can't function. It's brutal. Yeah. We're a little higher than you and we're definitely higher than you, Josh, where we get into the negatives for a good month. Mm. Like mid January to mid February where it's pretty cold. Up here. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Rhode Island is easy. And plus I'm near the, I'm near the water. So that helps a little bit. My, you know, keep it, keep it from getting too cold. Like a lot of times we, we get a dusting of snow and, you know, six miles away, they get you know a few inches of snow and much colder temperatures, but it's, uh, it's pleasant out now. I'm enjoying it. Oh, I'm, a, loving, yeah, I'm loving for high it right temperature, now. I, I could work in any heat. It doesn't, so at least the Rhode Island heat, whatever Rhode Island has to offer for heat, it doesn't phase me. Even <laughs> I'll go out and forge, no problem. Just drink more. And I got a fan blowing on me. It's fine cold definitely interrupts my work more than the heat yeah it's uh when when you're forging you're hot anyways so i mean i i can i can be at my day job you know and just miserable as i'll get out in the you know 100 degree heat you know working on cars and stuff like that and then i come home and i'll fire up the forge and i'm happy as can be it doesn't you know it doesn't bother me because you know in between heats i'm going over i'm standing in front of the air conditioner you know taking a breath and it's really not that much different than normal. You're just always hot when you're next to a forge and it's just you used to it. It's 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 my happy space, so it doesn't bother me at all. 
I was out working this morning on a couple of pieces of AEBL actually, where I had to punch a hole. I punched and drip. I didn't punch the hole. I drilled the hole when the mm-hmm. material was soft, and then I drifted it to a larger. And then I had a was working on it, and I when I, by the time I was done, I think it was about four hours straight. I felt just about like I could go to the hospital. But <laughs> 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 well, after I cooled off, I was like. I feel pretty good. I shouldn't feel this this good after what I just put myself through, you know. Yeah. Um, working with that material, it just what I was trying to do was very difficult and I had to stop and grind. I had to stop and grind um at intervals cuz you get cold shots and stuff. Sure. In the material cuz of manipulating again, changing the changing the um this was quarter inch stock, so I had, was trying to upset it and and you know, with a hammer, it's all hand hammer, which is very effective on stainless, actually, probably more effective than the machines, which sounds strange. More so than uh, a press or more so than a power hammer or what exactly do you mean? Probably more effective than the press, especially when you get down thin, it's, you can't do anything with, with stainless when it's thin on a press. You just just sucks the heat out. The heat's gone. Unless you're using, if you're using um, really narrow, narrow crown dies. I've got a couple mm. of that are like um, three quarter inch round that I've welded onto some plates. They're dro- like drop overs. I drop them over the flat dies. That's, that's pretty effective, but I need the, like the two by four uh, footprint of my press dies. It doesn't do anything to the stainless gotcha. and the hammer. My hammer is only 16 kilo. So not a whole lot there, especially if you're trying to spread the material better off on the anvil with the cross beam. I've learned that, which was quite surprising with, uh, with stainless. It is very responsive to, to, uh, hammer and anvil. I want to go hmm. forge some stainless now. Yeah. This conversation. <laughs> give it a, <laughs> go give it. it a shot. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I noticed the other day, actually, that was really odd. Um, at least in, in, to me was I was doing some forging and I was forging blade shapes and, I have this cheapy Harbor Freight hammer that is just like, I don't even know. It's probably like a 16 ounce or a 20 ounce ball peen hammer that I ground all the, you know, the nasty clear lacquer finish that they have on the handle and I burn the handle and I use it for texturing. So I just do, if, if I'm doing like a, I like to make those, the split crosses, kind of the, you know, the standard blacksmith cross, and so I'll use that to just to texture the face of it. So it's got like a dimpled face and that's all I've used this hammer for ever. And I just happened to, to pick it up cause it was next to one of my other hammers that I was using. And I was shocked at just how easy it was to manipulate the steel with such a small hammer. I was using it on the horn and then a little bit on the flat and just trying to fine tune the shape into this, uh, into this blade that I was doing. And it's such a tiny little hammer. You barely even feel the weight. You know, normally I use a two and a half pound. Um, and I was shocked. It just, I'm going to be using that a lot more. Um, yeah. It speed was amazing. is something to be valued in it. And like the speed of the strike versus the mass behind yeah. it is imparts different results into the steel. And that, that's why we, that's why anybody who's doing forging has got all these hammers with all these different shapes to it. Cause you got to try different things, different weights. I find yeah. the same. Yeah. I use the ball peen hammer. I use the, the, the round side of the ball peen hammer a lot on stainless uh, or, or the cross peen. I've got um, like a three and a half or four pound hammer that with a cross peen, I use that on the broad sides of the blade. But mm-hmm. um, as far as what I was just saying, I did this earlier today. That was mostly with the, with the ball peen and the fast, fast strike. You improve your accuracy a little bit. Well, and it's it easy changes. to do because yeah. your, your hand's not getting fatigued because it's, um, you know, it's such a light thing to be using. And just the amount of material that you're able to move is pretty awesome. So speaking of moving material, you have, I think, a very unique handle style that you do on your one-piece integral chefs because there's there's no handle scales. There's no wooden handles. There's no added handle to it you've you've developed this unique way of shaping a handle into a chef knife 
that at first glance, someone would think would be rather unwieldy, but looking at it with the mindset of how you hold a chef knife and considering it, it looks almost like the perfect handle because the majority of people, when they handle a chef knife are holding it very lightly. You know, I have some, some people who will, you know, come up to me at a show and they pick up one of my chef knives with like a hammer grip and they're just right. ripping on. I mean, you can see their knuckles <laughs> turn white. They're just grabbing onto the chef knife. And I'm like, that's not how you're going to hold a chef knife in the kitchen. Like, I don't care if you're a home chef or a professional chef, you're not going to grab it and like think of like it's a sword, you know, um, you're, you're using a very light, delicate grip and you're using the weight of the, of the knife to, to do the work for you. Um, where, where, where did that come from and what, what inspired you to start, uh, experimenting with those, those integral handles? Well, just enjoying the process of forging and not wanting to do anything beyond forging. <laughs> yeah. Just for like all forging and minimal other process. You know, I do like process. I like all these different steps and the different textures and materials, but those were sort of just an expression of just forging and being done. Like I've got it to the point now where I can, it's, I forge them super thin and then I only grind the bottom third or the bottom half of the knife and then I should put an edge on it and it's done. So that was, that was kind of my goal is how, how little can I do and how little can I do to make a useful knife that's comfortable? and like you said, they don't, it doesn't, when you look at them, they don't, most people say that doesn't make sense. You know, where are you going to put your hand? But um, like you said, like when, when somebody picks up a knife to see if the handle is comfortable, they grab it like it was a hammer. And yeah, it's probably comfortable if it's nicely contoured and shaped well, but in practical use, your engagement with the handle is really just the top that meets your palm. And then your mm -hmm. fingers are up, uh, usually up past the bolster in in the pinch grip and your 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 back you know your pinky and your ring finger are almost free so th that handle shape makes a lot of sense for that particular grip which is for the most part for a kitchen knife is is the grip that most people are, are using and then when you come down to slice your you got full engagement with your palm and then you your fingers can curl in on the the hot, you know, the curved underside of the blade or back on your own hand. And it's, it's de they definitely are they're actually really comfortable. Um, and seeing it is hard for it to make sense. So I usually take them around and, and share them that way. It'll always probably limit the appeal because most people won't get to feel it in their hand before right. they get to buy it. They just kind of have to believe, which, you know, Unless I start doing a bunch of videos, which I'm not inclined to do, uh, but they sell they sell fairly well actually. I just, I probably just the look of them, but the utility is definitely there. The uniqueness. Yeah. yeah, I've tried different. I've tried all different versions of all steel knives. I've done them with solid steel handles. Those are actually really nice, and the, the weight is fine. It's it's a thinner cross section than it would be if I used wood. Mm -hmm. um, because you wouldn't want to have that kind of mass on a on a on any kind of knife. Sure, uh, I've yeah, done them would... with solid steel. I've done them with a top and bottom um, sort of prong, mm -hmm. and Almost actually like they're a, like far a, like less an comfortable. I, I beam, like an I beam, yeah, like an I beam, yeah, okay. open on the end. And then um, be, uh, my friend Benjamin came on came on knives. His his uh, his design is very comfortable, which I've. I've made one or two versions of his style just really just for the challenge of the forging of it. Yeah. And uh, that's a comfortable design as well. Oh, I'm sure his knives are yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. He's gotten brought up a few times on the show. We really need to uh, <laughs> see if we can get him on here. Yeah. Um, his, uh, I saw a video from him the other day where he had uh, a knife come back to him and mm. the design of his handles where, you know, they have the, the bolster and the end cap that just kind of come off and then you can, it's essentially a takedown chef. Um, yeah. Everybody likes it, something they can take apart. I mean, <laughs> Oh yeah. And it was yeah. just so cool because I mean, it he is. makes such incredible content uh, the way that he filmed, you know, taking it apart and, you know, kind of cleaning up the blade and the way that he like refinished the whole thing was just phenomenal. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. I, um, I, I'm reminded of this, uh, First time I saw Salem Straub when he came out with his uh, his chain Damascus, 
when I, when I first saw that there was two thoughts that came to my head. One was I need to get out to the shop and I need to start practicing. And the other was I should quit knife making right now. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, Benjamin Camone's handles make me feel kind of the same way. His chains remind me of that, uh, comic book character. What I think is it DC. They made a bunch of movies some years ago. He's like, Oh, the night ghost writer. Not Ghost Rider. He was like oh. uh, he was like a demon or something. It wasn't Hellboy either. Spawn. Spawn. That's it. Exactly. Spawn's Marvel. Marvel. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what those chains remind me of, like Spawn. Yeah. Or Hellraiser or something. Yeah. <laughs> so I asked uh, Noah and Andrea last week, and they were on. <clears throat> and I think I'm going to ask our guests every week: Is there any guests you would like to see us have on? Well, you mentioned Ben, so definitely. Huh. Put people on the spot here, Ryan. Jeez, I got to. I got to. I need well, fresh I mean, ideas. We talked about Dave Lish. Get him on. Oh, Dave that's Lish. a great idea. I didn't even think about yeah. that. You got to pay him, though. Oh, uh, yeah. That's a problem. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, I can't. I can't speak for that. For that, he'd, he'd be great. He'd be a great. He's a great guy. He's a great guest. I don't know. He if seems he's, really he's interesting. I haven't seen him do too many, uh, or any, to my knowledge. Well, it can't hurt to ask. So yeah, yeah. Try that. You don't um, know until you try. That's right. I have. We're shoot. We're already fifty six minutes into this. Let's do a quick, uh, quick game of fake news. Um, if you're interested in that, Josh, that sounds then, cool. <laughs> and then we'll head over to uh, head over to an after show after that. I'm ready. Oh yeah, I gotta. This <laughs> or that. We're in the world. Fake news. It's time for some fake news. Police warn that flushing drugs could create hyper-aggressive meth alligators. Police say man with no hands and no legs is armed and on the run. A man admitted to the hospital with 25 plastic toy horses inserted in his rectum. Doctors have described his condition as stable. That's, that's right, my, ladies and gentlemen. That's Go my ahead, favorite, favorite play in, Noah. Just because I get to see the guest faces. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I like the Sorry. shitty fl- the shitty flute um, sort of <laughs> vibe about. The, oh, thank you. Yeah, no one makes all those. Yeah, <laughs> it's excellent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so this is fake news, guys. I have three headlines in front of me. Um, Ryan, Josh, you guys, and all the lovely listeners at home get to guess which one of these three is the fake news. Two of them, unfortunately for us and the future for humanity, are absolutely true. Um, the third one is fake facade, fake news. All right. We begin Florida man arrested for torching car belonging to his cousin, who was also his girlfriend. Next Florida teen sleeps with all five of his bully's moms to quote, assert dominance. Good and for last- him. <laughs> And lastly, Florida man who allegedly threatened family with Coldplay lyrics and standoff after SWAT promises him pizza. Hmm. I'm, I got to go with the bullies. I don't you know if there's a, a, a kid, a school age kid with enough game to smash all five of his bullies moms. That's uh, yeah. I mean, five is a pretty tough. I mean, that, if it was like maybe one, one, yeah, I can see that. So the last one, threatening with can you can you expand on the lyrics? The threatening with the Coldplay lyrics. <laughs> I guess I there's a less uh, threatening music. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess there's a, a Coldplay lyric that has something to do with igniting your bones or something like that. Oh yeah. Um. And and then there was a there was a history um, in, the, okay. in the story, real or fake. There was there was a history that was described in the story. So we're choosing the fake one, right? Yeah. Yep. So two of these are real. One is fake. I can I'm read them all the, off again if you guys like. I'm choosing the last one as uh, the threatening with the with the Coldplay lyrics. I'm choosing that as the fake one. Okay, Ryan, are you sticking with the bully one? Yep. I love how neither one of you are just like, oh yeah, no. Yeah, torching a car belonging to his cousin girlfriend. Nah, totally real. Totally real. Yeah, that's legit. (laughs) That could happen anywhere. Anybody got a cute cousin? 
You know? <laughs> <laughs> Not just Florida. <laughs> All right. Well, finals answers in. And Ryan, I can't believe it, but you were correct. Wow, finally. Um, yeah. Finally picked one. You finally got a correct one. Yeah, Ryan has a history of uh, of never getting anything correct, so it's always shocking when when let's, he. Let's he, hear it again. What was the? Let's hear the fake one again. The fake one was Florida teen sleeps with all five of his bullies' moms to quote assert dominance. I believe that that's definitely happened. Not that particular ah, story, but that seems like true. a reasonable situation that could happen. Yeah, I had that one sent to me, and and I. The first thing I, you know, I Google it and the first thing that pops up with was like four fact checking websites. Florida teen did not sleep with all five of his bullies, moms. This is, you know, fake news, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I don't I don't doubt that it has happened at some point. But yeah, um, so the Florida man uh, arrested for torching uh, his cousin girlfriend's car. Uh, that one was sent in by uh, Brad Troxclair from Troxclair Custom Cutlery and also Minuteman Forge. So oh, thank you to both of you guys. Get to make a, they get to make these fake stories for you to read? That's cool. They do, yeah. I get a lot of submissions. Um, I have a note about that mm-hmm. as well. Um, and then the uh, the Coldplay lyrics one was sent in by Brian Hunt from Hidden Rose Forge. So thank you, gentlemen, for contributing to the show. Um, I'm not sure who sent me in the Bully's Mom one. I apologize. But good news, and it's not good news. Um, we have a new category of things not to send me. So uh, this is a running list. Um, because we would like to keep this show fun and light. So things not to send me include bestiality, chopping up family members and putting them into suitcases. Um, I can't remember what the other one was. Um, but the new category is um, weird sex stuff. Just I, I understand that like sometimes we, we push the boundaries, but there is a boundary. And um, weird, creepy sex stuff is definitely was it on the Neil list. Neil Warren again? No, it was it was a new one. I'm not going to call him out, you know. And, and he, he apologized. He apologized after he sent it to me, and I and I I had some choice words about what what the content was, and I'm like, that's not going on the show, man. I'm sorry. And he's like, yeah, I'm sorry about that. I, I really didn't send that one. Like, <laughs> same page. All right. So yeah. So anyways, weird, creepy sex stuff that involves victims. Uh, just no. We're not gonna not gonna do that in the fake news or Florida man stories. So anyways, this is supposed to be. Funny, not sad. <laughs> exactly. Stuff could be like could be like confessions, you know. You guys end up in a court case or something. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> <Right. laughs> not even fake. Any of that. Like somebody's confessing to something, using you as the vehicle. Well, most that's of the time, it. people are sending me either memes that are headlines or actual headline stories. So that's what they Hopefully. say. Serial killers are always telling people what they've done. You know, like, most people are like, ha, 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 you're so funny, Dave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now you got me a little, you got me a little worried about some of our listeners now. Cause I've been, <laughs> part, uh, you're letting, you know, I mean, that's part of the, the game. They want to get I, caught. At least from what I know from watching movies about serial killers. Uh, quick show update. So Noah and I made executive decision. We're not going to post video anymore. Oh, that's we're, right. Yes. Because it, requires too much bandwidth we have too many technical issues that piss me off and yeah dave baker's technical issues were the final straw or it was probably the 50 messages we got about the technical issues that we were fully aware of thank you everybody (laughs) we appreciate Uh, you guys trying to help I, i i i do appreciate that um but yeah unfortunately there was just nothing we could do and so for bandwidth reasons we're just not going to be uploading video anymore so yeah i'll still Unless post you guys... to youtube but it'll be a thumbnail over the audio file so it'll be nothing to watch it'll just be the guest face or whatever the episode thumbnail is um i'm a couple episodes behind but YouTube's sorry what josh what was that oh i was saying i mean the video i can't imagine the video is very compelling Anyways, <laughs> no, I mean, it's just three dudes really. sitting here talking. It's you not like, do the Joe it, like that, that crazy guy that puts a green screen behind him and like rides a motorcycle during like Zoom meetings and stuff. He's famous <laughs> now for that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean that's the yeah. only way you could make it. That would be interesting. We we do have a couple of listeners who exclusively listen on YouTube just because it fits their schedule or how they uh, listen to stuff better. Um, so we'll definitely still have the episodes up um, for that reason, just with a. Um, just with like a, a, a thumbnail. So it'll still be yeah. on YouTube. It just won't be the actual video just because it's not worth it with all the technical issues that we've had. We've had some really great guests that have had, you know, I and mean, we've had full shows that were recorded 
and were fantastic episodes um and we just weren't able to use them so it really yeah. sucks to lose that that quality content would be interesting is if you could get the you know do the audio only and then push it to youtube with some sort of ai generated you know versions of yourself after the fact uh-huh. like cartoons yeah doing i don't know like something crazy like that might be interesting that's a anyway. great idea I that's like a great that. idea we're gonna look into that it's kind of far out <laughs> yeah you guys be, right. you, could, you could be like i don't know a couple of dinosaurs or something or a, <laughs> you ever see creature oh. comforts it's an old it's an old thing it's uh it, it it was it's british and uh they would they would just go to these like animal fairs where they were like 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 livestock auctions and stuff like that and they would interview people about whatever and then they would they would put claymation over the audio. Huh. That's a I good idea. I like, watching that when I was a kid. They, they would just like have like, they would just record people having a conversation, like a bunch of women, like having tea and they would record their conversation and then they would animate over it. And it was just like hilarious. That's hmm. so strange. That like just popped up like in the back of my mind. Like I, I remember watching that on like a 12 by 12 TV, like <laughs> way back in the day when I was a kid. That's so crazy. Yeah. Wow. All right. The well, British guys, had some great shows back in the day. British comedies, like back on PBS, back, way back in the day. Some yeah. quality. Absolutely. Yeah. No, we don't want to give the, the British too much credit here. <laughs> That's all I'm British giving listeners. them. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, guys, it's now time to, to switch over to an after show. Um, if you are one of the lovely people who support us on Patreon, you are going to get to listen to this. If not, this is where we say goodbye, and we're going to see you guys next week. But for those of you who want to, you can go to patreon.com slash hustle and grind, where for as little as $1 a month, you can listen to more of this wonderful conversation. And um, we greatly appreciate you guys doing that. Um, Lastly, one last thing I just want to say is that um, I apologize if I'm not very lively today but the only reason that i'm alive right now is because i've been drinking some liquid iv Uh, i hiked about 10 miles this morning and almost shot a deer but didn't quite um and hunting season this year has been brutal for me i've just been doing a ton of hiking and stuff but i've been keeping liquid iv in my backpack the entire time and it has been huge for helping me recover from some of these ridiculous hikes up mountains that i've been doing and stuff like that um, if you want to check out some liquid IV, I would recommend that you go to liquidiv.com and use the code hustle 10 to get yourself 20% off your entire order. It makes it cheaper than you can get it anywhere in those big box stores. And you can get all the flavors as opposed to one or two that you're going to get at, uh, at any given store. Um, it's really great. It gives you all the electrolytes that you need. It's going to hydrate you twice as good as just water alone. And, uh, I use it every single day and I, I highly recommend that you do as well. Ryan, you got anything else to talk about before we head over? No, nah, we can save it for the after show. Maybe we talk about me almost getting crushed by my dump bed on my five-wheel rig right before the show. Let's talk about that on the after show. Okay. Josh, thank you so much for yeah. coming on the show. We really appreciate it, man. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. Absolutely. Super appreciate it.